Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my book-loving wife, Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. Today is the book episode... About time. I don't know that I agree. You're liking what you're reading, though. For the most part, yes. Yeah. Before we get to that, let's discuss really quickly the news that we have for the week. I didn't find a lot that happens sometimes. But the major piece of news, in my opinion, is that All the Light We Cannot See by Anthony Doerr has been greenlit for adaptation by Netflix. The limited series will be directed by Sean Levy. The book was published in 2014 and is set in occupied France during World War II. The book follows the story of Marie Lore, I think is how you say her name, a blind teenage girl, and Warner, a German soldier. Werner? Probably. <laughs> so they're like, come on, you're German enough to know this. <laughs> Together they traverse the devastation of the war. Their story spans from 1934 to 2014. The show's producers are actively encouraging actresses who are blind or low vision to apply to their worldwide casting search for the lead. That's pretty cool. A little very inclusive as well. So Yeah, that would be good to see. Because the last thing I want to see is, like, an overpaid woman that, you know, is already an actress get paid to do that and not somebody who's actually can be blind. Right. Yeah. And the last piece of book news that I have for the week, because, like I said, there isn't a lot. The first book in a planned fantasy series by Ayana Gray called Beast of Prey is set to be adapted into a Netflix film. This was announced shortly before the book's release date, which was September 28th. According to the book's blurb, Beasts of Prey follows black teenagers as they journey into a magical jungle to hunt down the vicious monster who is threatening their home. As they begin to discover ancient, deadly secrets, it quickly becomes unclear whether they are the hunters or the hunted. Clubhouse Pictures will produce the adaptation with Scott Martin as the executive producer. But I'm sure next week we're going to have all the book news because that's usually how this works. When we have one slow week, the next week is like, book news. Right. But I thought it would be fun to do the end of the year book tag now that we are into the last quarter of the month, of the year, not the month. For you, it's the last quarter. I'm not quite there yet for my lifestyles. Well, for the podcast and how people normally track their books, it is. (laughs) Yes. The first question in the end of the year book tag is, are there any books you've started this year that you need to finish? So, yes, there are multiple books that I still will read by the time the end of the year happens. You control this list, so I don't know 100% what it is, but obviously Skyward is the right answer for me right now, actively. I was going to say, you haven't started and not finished any books except for the one you're currently reading. Yep, and that's why it was a very easy choice. But for me, I just... If I DNF a book, if I put a book down, it's put down for good. It's not like I'm going to finish it later on when I'm in a better place to read it. It's like, normally I force myself to finish stuff, and if I don't finish it, it's just not happening. Yeah, It's so trash that it doesn't deserve to be read again. Yes. Do you have an autumnal book to transition into the end of the year? The answer is no, I don't. Um, I think the most autumnal book we literally just read last week would have been Hatchet because, right. like, it ends in fall, so that. 
That is actually a good transition book because it starts in the summer and ends in the fall. Yeah. I said that I have a handful of darker books that I plan on reading in October. Part of this list is A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee, The Beautiful by Renee Audier, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer. So some just like creepier and darker things to get me more in the autumn mood. Not like I wasn't already. Right. Is there a new release book that you are still waiting for? I don't think so. I usually buy the things that I'm waiting for. Like I have a pile of comics and you know things I need to read actively book-wise. So not really. There's not a book that's going to come out later in the year that you're looking forward to? Well, I don't keep tabs on them that well. So I think that's the big thing for me. I'm sure there is something, but... What I can think of that will probably interest you from my list is the EO graphic novel from V. Schwab, which is supposed to come out this month. Who knows when we'll actually receive it. The next volume of The Old Guard comes out at the end of the year. I think you'll be pretty excited for that one too. But there's also the new Clue mystery novel from Diana Peterfriend coming out. You also have the new Skyward book from Brandon Sanderson coming out. So like, I have a list. When don't I have a list? Let's say you're probably planned until like fall of next year as to what books you're looking forward to. Not quite, but it is already starting to creep into next year. Yeah. What are three books you want to read before the end of the year? Uh, Skyward, and I do kind of want to get my hands on Foundry Side. I don't know that I'm going to have time to do that, though, because as we get closer to the holidays, the less personal time I usually have. Right, right. Um, I think it's going to be a struggle to get you through Skyward, Starsight, and Cytonic whenever we finally get that pre-order in. The reality is I'll probably look forward to reading some of, like, the Spawn comic books just because, like... It's less time. Well, less time, and it's, like, it means stuff to me because, like, as a kid, I read a lot of those. So, childhood memories. I put that I'd like to finish my Harry Potter reread. I'm finding that I'm less interested in it right now, but I think it's because life has been kicking me in the teeth for weeks now, and so... I'm not interested in doing anything. Like this past week, I had to force myself to read. And like, I barely finished the books I was planning on reading. And I only read two books this week. So I, th- I think just a general apathy going on right now because of IRL stuff going on. But I am going to finish my Harry Potter reread, even if I'm not too hyped up about it. I also have a couple books on my 40 before 40 list that I plan on reading this fall and this winter because they're very seasonal. Okay. And so I don't want to have to wait till next fall or winter to read them. But also I have like five or six NetGalley books that I need to get to before they come out. So those are high priority as well. Is there a book you think could still shock you and become your favorite book of the year? Considering what you've read so far this year. I don't know that anything's going to jump out at me necessarily. Like, Skyward is good. I don't think it's, like, favorite material yet, but who knows? Like, I'm only a third of the way through the book, so I can't really judge that yet. Right, right. Um, As well, too, it's a series, so who knows? Maybe the second book ends up, like, just blowing my mind away or something. So I am kind of don't want to commit to something quite yet. Like Right, right. I haven't really felt like there's been one that has absolutely 100% stood out either, though. So, like... I mean, didn't you read the villain's 
duology this year, Vicious and Vengeful. I think it carried over from last year, but yeah, it was like a crossover. Like it was December, January-ish, maybe? I don't think so. No? I think you read those this year. Uh, I can check my Goodreads, but yeah. There hasn't been really one that's blown me to the point where I'm like, this is the winner so far. There's been a lot of good books, but I think that's what makes it complicated. Right. I said that I don't think so. I mean, it's always possible, but I really loved the new Maureen Johnson book, the How Not to Get Murdered in a Quaint English Village, Your Guide to Not Getting Murdered in a Quaint English Village. But I've also really loved the Locke Lamora series by Scott Lynch, which is what I now have to call it if I don't want to have to bleep myself. But if there is, it's got to be one of the new releases I'm anticipating. I don't see myself picking up a backlist book and being as wowed as I was with the Maureen Johnson or Scott Lynch. I just don't think that's possible. And I've kind of touched on this last question a little bit. Have you already started making reading plans for next year? I wrote note, but I'm sure Liberty's been making plans for me. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. I said, of course. I've gotten a few NetGalley approvals for books that are coming out next year, and I like to read them like the month prior to them coming out, so those need to get read then. But there are some anticipated releases that I'm excited about for next year. You've got the next book in the Inheritance Game series, the next book in the Witchland series, so I'm just ready for those and making lists already, as always. Not shocked. No. Nor should you be. No. As for what I've been reading, like I said, I had struggled with reading these two books this week, and I think it might just be like this for a while because of everything going on IRL, but still, like, two books a week has been my goal the entire time we've been doing the podcast. Everything else has just kind of been on top of that gravy, whatever you want to call it. So... I think I need to accept this as like my new normal until things settle down. Well, the reality is like with your last appointment, you got a lot of answers and I felt like you came out of it feeling a little bit better information wise than you did going into it. And I'm hoping that the appointment this week answers some more questions and makes you feel a little more at ease than you were originally. So we'll hopefully that'll help you with your reading a little because I know you usually like to do at least three books. So Right, right. But I was about halfway through Goblet of Fire before the week started, so I just finished that as part of my reread. And I also reread Skyward by Brandon Sanderson. It's a 2018 release and a YA science fiction novel that I originally rated five stars. This time reading through it, I think it would sit in the 4.25, 4.5 range. But a lot of books don't stand up to multiple rereads. I think this is the third time I've read it. So that might be why I felt that way this time. Or like I said, just my general sense of apathy that I've been feeling for a couple weeks now. Well, the reread factor definitely affects it, obviously, because you like the important parts that like really wow you, you already know are coming. Right, right. So it's like, oh yeah, well, don't worry here. We're fine because this great thing's about to happen. So right. it's like... But in this book... In a future world where humans have been defeated, crushed, and driven almost to extinction, the remnants of the human race are trapped on a planet that is constantly attacked by mysterious alien starfighters. Spensa longs to be a pilot defending their planet, and when she discovers the wreckage of an ancient ship, she realizes this dream might be possible. Assuming she can repair the ship, survive flight school, and persuade the strange machine to help her. 
boy, it should have been that synopsis been like maybe hashtag slightly spoilers because like that is the Goodreads synopsis basically, which is crazy because like even only being like a third of the way through the book, like those are some big things that were dropped in that synopsis. I'm just going off the Goodreads. Oh, I not pinning it on you. To clarify. Well, and that is something that people have complained about in the past, particularly in the mystery genre, that they just give away too much in the synopsis. Oh, yeah. Those those are, like, main plot points that you're not supposed to know for, like, chapters into the book, so... Like, well, they gotta get you interested somehow. I guess. As for what I plan on reading next, I... I'm going to read a Nick Alley book called Chasing Fireflies by Chloe Fowler. It comes out at the end of this month, and it is a YA contemporary slash romance featuring a good girl, bad boy trope. In this one, Rainey Collins has heard the phrase, everything happens for a reason, for most of her life. But when it comes to her sister, Maverick, who was born with a serious heart defect, the reason has always been a mystery. And the actual romance for this book starts at the beginning of Rainey's senior year when she sits next to bad boy Liam Hayes. I'm not really sure how to take this. I've read a small portion of this already, and I wonder how the sister's heart defect plays into the rest of Rainey's life and everything else, because it feels a lot like her sister's health problems are you know, affecting her, and it's like, but you're not the one with the health problem, so, like, why are you making it about you sort of thing? Like, emotionally, I kind of understand that a little bit. Like, you know, life choices obviously have affected mine in some sense, and now it's led to him having mental health issues, which still, to this day in Texas, affects me somehow, some way. So, like, I kind of get it, but it shouldn't be, like, a life-changing thing, necessarily. It's just a little weird that in the synopsis, it is so much about Rainy's sister's health, but then it's also a romance between Rainy and a boy. Right. So, like, I don't know. That just feels a little weird as someone who has chronic illnesses. So we'll see how that all plays out. I think it's just dependent on how the author goes about it. Also, I finally plan on reading A Lesson in Vengeance by Victoria Lee. It came in late because our Owlcrate didn't ever arrive and we had to get it reshipped. Whoever has our other Owlcrate, congratulations, you got a free Owlcrate. Enjoy your book. Yeah. It's a new release from August and a YA mystery slash thriller about a boarding school haunted by its history of witchcraft and about two girls digging up the past. This seems like it's going to be a dark academia story, and I'm pretty excited to get to it finally. I was really in the mood for dark academia in August and September, so hopefully I'll still be in the mood for that this week. Yeah. Of course, if there's still time, I'll probably try to read something else, but I don't know that there will be. Until we find out and you're randomly surprised that you've read six books. If I read six books from my TBR for this month, this week, I think I will have done nothing else but read. I have some chunky boys on my TBR. Yeah. But in the news of what I've been reading, it's been the first third of Skyward, and so far it's pretty pretty darn good. I'm really enjoying it. I like the the characters, obviously the internal strife of like being put down over and over again that she's having to deal with at flight school, so how do you like Spencer as a character? Because this is something that I've never really agreed with other people on, or at least not the vast majority of people. I'm 
I'm on the fence. Like, I'm kind of on the fence. I, I'm not overly sold that she's, like, my favorite main character this year. But at the same time, like, she kind of has, like, a little bit of an attitude. And I know why it's there. Obviously, she has to defend herself from all the crap that she takes for being, like, the daughter of her dad. But, like, at the same time, it's like, that shouldn't completely change who you are as a person. I think that's my issue with it mostly at this point. I don't think it did. Like, everyone's talking about how angry and, like, violent and all this crap she is. But to me, Spencer as a character is someone who's always got to be defensive and have this wall put up. So when she goes on these tangents about, like, I will devour my enemies and stuff, it just looks like when there's a five-year-old who's trying to act all tough and stuff. And it's like, I know you're five. Like, I'm not scared of you. And so that's how I feel about Spencer as a character. It's like, I know what's really in you, and I don't believe, like, all this BS you put out to sort of distance yourself and keep yourself safe. So it's kind of like when you get cute mad. We are both 5'2". Yeah. But no. I just, I've always disagreed with this idea of, like, everyone always says she's over the top and, like, too much. And it's like, I don't see that because all I see is someone who is putting up a wall to try to protect herself. Right. And I agree that that wall's in place. Like, it's clear as day that it is. I personally think that I don't love Spencer, like... If we were in the same room with each other, I'd be like, okay, you can stop that crap now. And, like, I would be sick of her in five minutes. But at the same time, like, as a character, I think she's fine. Like, you don't have to like people in order for them to be a good character. Oh, I agree. I'm not saying that she's a bad character by any means. I'm just saying that, like, I'm not sold on her being, like, my favorite main character either. But I think the other characters that are around her, like, Rig, Jerkface, and so forth, like, they... They're all well written, and right, right. and like we've read a lot of books this year. I've read a lot of books in comparison to what I've ever read in, a, right. in an average year, and I can tell you with certainty, like that, like all the characters have like full definition. Like you understand who they are, you can get attached to them easily because they have that like extra set of layers, basically. Right. Right. But starting out with this story, we open with a prologue where we're sort of introduced to this world that Spencer and her father live in. And it's sort of like Earth. It sort of resembles Earth, but not quite. And you see Spencer and her father coming out of a hole in the ground. And this is because their society has had to break up into small clans in order to survive because the moment that they all group up together in bigger bands, the aliens that have kept them grounded for so long attack and some of them die, large portions of them die. And so they have one small air force at the time that the prologue starts and Spence's father is in their air force to protect themselves from the Krell, which is that alien race that has been suppressing them. Right. When the prologue's happening, he's just showing her what it's like above ground, and they can see the stars, and they discuss, you know, having the courage to want more, to be more than what's expected of them. But then her father gets called in because the aliens are coming in, so they need to fight him off. And that is the night that her father dies. And he is branded a coward because the story is that he had run away during a firefight and that he deserved getting killed because of that. And so that brands 
her whole family as being a bunch of cowards. Basically, yeah. They're going to run away from the fights and from everything, really, let's be honest. Right. And this is something that the society that they're in especially doesn't want. They don't value cowardice. Their main... Well, their defiance. So, like... Right. That's... Like, the main thing that they like to tout about themselves is that they're defiant and they're strong and they're brave. And so she is sort of the antithesis of this. And so everyone just gives her crap her whole life. So she learns how to hunt in the cave so that her family can have a way to make money. Right. All the while, she's studying for this test that she can take at 17 to become a pilot for the DDF. And that's their Air Force. But when it comes to test day, they don't give her a pilot's test. They just give her, like, a generic test to figure out what aptitude she would have for other jobs. Right. While she's sitting with, like, a hundred other students who are all taking pilot tests. Right. And and at first, I didn't realize it. I thought they were just giving her a test of the things they knew she wasn't going to know. Right. Because she was ditching all those classes to she support her household. She only went to the household. ones right. relevant to becoming a pilot, yeah. She's, like, fed up with this, and she sees a couple of the children of the original pilots who are, like, basically treated like royalty, basically. Right, right. They're considered, like, founder's kids. They legit just have to write their name on the paper and then turn it in. They don't even have to take the test, and they're automatically included into the pilot school, which is, like, who's to say that they're going to actually be good pilots? Right, right. Well, they would wash out in school if they weren't. But at the same time, like, you don't know how many kids you're knocking off from actually being good pilots. Right. By giving these people a leg up when they don't need it. Exactly. And so when everyone leaves the test room, she ends up taking one of the turned-in tests that weren't written on. Right. And goes through and answers all the questions. And she's, like, in there for hours. After everyone is gone, including instructors, like... Aides, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so a guy ends up coming into the room, and she thinks it's a janitor at first, but it turns out it's one of the flight instructors. And he basically tells her, you have a spot in my class, but... No, it's not going to be easy for you. I can only get someone into my class and handle my class the way that I want, but I have no other, like powers over the people who don't want you in flight school right she also roughly around this time finds a starfighter in a cave above ground it actually happens before her test it's sort of a hunk of junk but like even as a hunk of junk it's better than the fighters that the ddf have and so it's got all this weird tech that is better than the tech that they have. And it's sort of like, how did this even happen? Why is this here? Well, she didn't know at the time that it had that kind of tech because she didn't have the ability to power it up. Right. So the reality is, like, it was literally just a decayed ship that as somebody who has studied to become a pilot, she doesn't even recognize. Like, she doesn't... Right. It's it, She knows it's old. She just doesn't know... How old. And- how old and where it even came from, for that matter. But... With that ship, there's sort of this side plot where she and Rigamarole, who is her best friend and who ends up washing out of flight school pretty quickly, put back together. That is on top of her doing this flight school, on top of her not having any privileges on base. So she can't eat at the chow hall. She can't stay in the dorms. So she's got to make a choice of, do I 
take the elevators up and down every day, which can sometimes take hours. And make her late and then wash out of the class anyways. Or does she go to where she knows the starfighter is that is hard for anyone to find, but is closer than if she took the elevators every day. Right. And so she decides she'll walk in from that cave every day. And that sort of helps with her side storyline with putting the ship back together. So it kind of all works out, sort of. Yeah. But on her first day of class, she meets Jerkface. And he and his friends act like, of course he's flight leader. Of course he should be the one that you all listen to and look up to and all this crap. And she's like, excuse me. And she starts throwing a fit about it. And then the teacher basically pulls her out of the classroom and goes, just so you know, like who his dad is, how many flight hours he has. like How many flight hours his cronies have. have and you've got zero. zero. So, so like that's why he's the flight leader because he actually knows how to fly. Right. Which makes sense considering everybody else there has lived in a cave their entire life. So right. it's like. And we see these cool little pods that are set up to train them in flying before they actually get in a plane so that they don't, you know, wreck out a whole spaceship plane, whatever you call it. Those things exist in the real world, so like... But also, in this sci-fi, it makes it ultra real, so sort of like a combination of VR plus training plus other sci-fi It's like electronic dome basically comes over the top of your head, and it's like literally just VR-like in that sense, yeah, because you can see everything in every direction. And so... On their first day, they're all learning how to just get in the air and get back down, but there is a massive lack of pilots on this day on the base. And of course, that's when the Krell come in. Yeah. And so they're instructed to just get in a plane, get in the air, and act like you're going to join this fight, but you're not allowed to join this fight because you barely know how to get the plane in the air. Right. They do that, and that's when Rigamarole ends up washing out of the class because he's like, I well, don't. he got shot. Yeah, he did. And it was, I think, like one shot to his shield, and he's like, I'm done. I'm not doing this. This is not what I want to do with my life. Well, and, like, the reality is he explains it to Spencer. Like, I was on board because, like, you were realistically my only friend, and, like, you seemed so excited about it, and I wanted to be a part of something like that. And... He was like, I didn't really want to be a pilot, though, like, ever. Like, it was just kind of a thing that I was along for the ride, basically. Yeah. But he does eventually decide to go into engineering, which makes sense, given how much work he's put into this other ship that Spencer has, and, like, how much he seems to be enjoying it while they're working on the ship together. So, like, that makes more sense than him as a pilot. Well, and she even says, like, you went to the classes on how to repair these things, and I didn't even care about going to those type of conversations. So it's like, it makes sense that engineering would be his forte. Right. But also in these classes, there becomes this question of what happens if a pilot or a cadet in flight school ejects from their plane? Because this society puts so much pressure on people to be brave and strong you're not really sort of allowed to eject when you know you're coming in an uncontrolled crash it's sort of understood that a pilot is allowed to do it but a cadet isn't because there's going to be nothing recoverable from the crash and that plane's just junk at that point yeah the starfighter's worthless and 
these are really expensive, hard to build, hard to find parts for ships. And they would rather you make as safe of a landing as you can, whether you end up dying or not, so that your ship is safe. Yeah, so it's recoverable. They were having this discussion in front of Cobb, and he's like, if you're in an uncontrolled crash, you eject. I don't care. Yeah. And it seems like Cobb is sort of instructing the class differently than other flight instructors are, where he seems to care more about the students than what everyone else does because they care about the ships and, like, you're just a body. I can replace it. Yeah, whereas realistically and the true reality is replacing a pilot of quality is not as easy to do. Right, right. Like, you could, of course, throw another body in there and, like, they might be okay for a little while, but who's to say they're going to last more than, like, two days? Right. Oh, there was this funny scene where Hobb is asked to fill out a form basically saying, how do you all feel about your instructions so far? And you see a lot of Cobb's, like, sarcastic, dark humor, and I really enjoyed that because I really like Cobb as a character, even though he's kind of an a-hole. He's in the military. I feel like the, like... That dark humor kind of has always existed in every military everywhere. Otherwise, you don't survive being in the military. It's a fact of life. So. Yeah. And we see some of the different people who are in the class with Spencer. Like, Ned is very into weapons, and he wants to use them all the time. Was it Ben that was into the weapons? No, it was Ned. Oh, okay. I know Ben also wanted to use the weapons a lot. Between the two of them, it was just like they're constantly going back and forth. Like, when are we going to get to use them? Right, right. They also learn how to use something called light lances. Yeah. That they could use to either grab onto other ships or grab onto debris that is falling from the sky in order to rotate their axis. I was going to call them like an electronic laser grappling hook, basically. Because <laughs> I feel like that's like the best description of what it is, more right. or less. Though that does bring me to the point, like, I cannot describe to you appropriately, like, all of the maneuvers and, like, all of the fun tools that they have on their ships, but Brandon Sanderson does a really good job of not only describing, like, dogfights and stuff like that, but also making it really clear, like, about these maneuvers and how they work, and it's really easy to see all of the action, which I feel like is a quality that not a lot of authors have. I don't feel like a lot of authors could explain a dogfight in such a way where I know where her entire flight is and, like, how many of the aliens each one of them is fighting. But, like, this is one of the things that sets Brandon Sanderson apart from other authors, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think that has a lot to do with, like, the character development side of it that we spoke about earlier, too. Like, he just seems to give you the right amount of detail for you to be able to 100% visualize everything that's going on and where it is, what's happening. It's just you you become very attached to the storyline. Like, it was very easy for me to read, like, 50, 60 pages in a sitting, which I don't normally do a lot of the times with books. So, right, like, yeah. Like, there were times where I'm like, man, I have other things to do, but reading is just coming so easy. Why waste it right now? So, And we also get to see some cool, like, they got to play a game as part of their training exercise where you have to collect so many rings by going through them with your plane. And some of them are really easy. Some of them are hard to get to. You have to use your light lance in order to turn a certain way in order to get through it. 
and he sets basic instructions for how it's supposed to work and you see jerk face kind of hold back and watch everyone else go through it before he goes through it so he knows what needs to be done prior to taking his turn but then you also see at the end of that training spencer turn around and ends up running her fake spaceship into his fake spaceship so that she wins and he so loses. So that she wins, he crashes out, and he can't earn any more points, basically. Yeah. And I think while Jerkface gets really upset about this, I think they all kind of learn a lesson of like how rules inform how you choose your methods for certain games or whatever you want to call them, instruction. And I think it's something that they hold on to later on in the book that I think is important. Yeah. So that's why I mentioned that. We also see that Spencer has found a, well, I say found. She has uh, stolen a power matrix to put into the new. Found is definitely not the right word for it. but To put into her new spaceship. And she connects everything. And all of a sudden, her spaceship is talking to her. The AI of sassiness has been activated. And we meet one of my favorite characters, Imbot. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Sassy AI every time. It's a winner in your eyes no matter what. We've also already met Doomslug, which was living in the cave. But Doomslug really hasn't brought necessarily anything to the table. Like, like he's there all the time, but like... I mean, as the story goes on, it sort of learns how to communicate with Spencer, which is fun. But like, no, it's not a main character. By any I just means. like Doomslug. Yeah. But Imbot is probably my favorite character in this series. That makes a lot of sense. And she discovers that its programming is a little weird. It almost has a personality. And it's been told to lie low, not engage, and to basically look for fungi. For the fun guys? Yeah. Yeah. And she's trying to figure out, like, how to work around this stuff. And, like, it runs a diagnostic and it's like everything's offline. And she and Rigamarole have to sort of figure out how to piece it back together i just love rig's reaction to it like kind of shocked and then all of a sudden like and bot's really not trusting him like you're gonna leave me here with him i don't know him <laughs> yeah like you barely know her what do you mean right it's been like two days since you guys have been talking like chill yeah but rig and spencer kind of have a discussion about well what do we do with him if we do fix him up because rig is like this is tech we could use like, this would be fantastic for the DDF. Like, it's leaps and bounds ahead of the tech we currently have. And he's like, I, I don't think so. I don't trust them. I don't trust you. I don't want to. And Spence is like, I'm its pilot now. Yeah. Like, it's mine. Right. Which I think is a key important part. And then you see, like, how good the tech is. Like, the short-range radar or whatever it is. Like, mm -hmm. sensors are, like, way further than the long-range sensors that they actively have as the people that are stuck on this planet. So it's just, like, crazy how accurate it is. Right. And we see that whenever there are 43 ships falling through the atmosphere with a bunch of debris, and Imbot can already, like, pinpoint... Where they are. this many. This is where they are. Yeah. And she's like, we can't even tell if they are in a debris fall until scouts go out to look. So, like, that's amazing. Yeah. But when she hears that, she ends up going back to base because she knows she's going to probably be called for action because there are... A lot more than normal. Well, and there are flights that are on R&R &R down in the caves that would take, like, hours to call back. Yeah. 
And she joins up with her flight, who are already out there waiting for instruction. And then we lose some people. Yeah, they're instructed as a flight to do defensive postures, just to be like extra bodies on the field, sort of like they did on their first day. Except for a little more active. But they end up getting drawn into a real fight. We end up losing Bim and Morning Tide. Yeah. And, like, I was getting really attached to Bim this time around. I think the first couple times I read it, I wasn't attached to Bim when we lost him, but this time I feel like it affected me more. Yeah. It definitely hit me in the gut because, like, Spencer was starting to develop feelings for him, at least a little bit. Like, he was like, oh, well, he takes notice of me, and then... Like, he was flirting with me, and... Yeah. That's not normal for her because of who she is. But he doesn't know who she is, or well, he didn't. he didn't. I was going to say, towards the end, he did. That's part of the reason Spencer stole the power piece from uh, Jerkface's Jerk face, yeah. car. It's good. I'm excited to read the second third of the book. Honestly, if I wasn't set to work 10 days straight, thanks to us taking vacation, I would probably say I would try to finish it by Sunday, because it it's a fast read. Like, when I sit down to read it, I just go. Like, there's no slowing me down. Right. And so, like, I'm excited to read the next bunch of the book, but um, I guess we'll talk about that next week on the podcast. So there's that. I'm interested to see what you think about the middle section, because I think it is a little, in my opinion, less action-y than the first third. But that's the way books are written for a reason, because there's usually something that goes on in the end of the book, the climax of it. So Right, right. But otherwise, I would say I'm actively enjoying the book. I'm ready to continue. I think that pretty much will wrap up the book episode based off of that. Yeah. And make sure you guys are staying in contact with us on all of our social media, which will be linked in the show notes. And we'll see you next week for a sports episode before we head out on vacation. And another book episode, of course, obviously, too. Bye, guys. Bye.